morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? Good, good. So good to see everybody here today. For the past two weekends, we've been talking about fear. A couple of weeks ago, um, I started this series, Fear Not, and I talked about, I just set up that series by talking about fear of the future. And then um, last weekend, Valentine weekend, uh, Craig spoke and he talked about the fear of man. And today I am going to kind of shift this just a little bit um, because I'm actually going to talk about dishonesty, okay? Now, this today's message is practical theology. I mean, there's no way um, to describe it any better than to say that. It is just um, theology applied uh, to ev- everyday life. And I'm choosing to do this in this series because the motivation behind dishonesty is actually a lot of fears. And when you and I right now, especially when we look at our world, when we look at the political landscape, when we watch the news, when we see things that are, that are happening and we're concerned about it, and we just see obvious lies or dishonesty in our culture, I want us to know that that stuff is really driven um, by fear. And it can easily become something that you and I deal with. And you may deal with it this morning already. You know right now that this is an area that is weak for you. Of just constantly being upfront, constantly being overly honest. But fear is driving these things. And since we're in this series on fear, I thought it'd be a great time to teach about this topic. <clears throat> Mankind has always, always had trouble with being truthful. For a myriad of reasons, it seems that we cannot get comfortable with the realness of our lives. We have an experience, and because we are our worst critic, we filter that experience through a series of expectations that are just not realistic. And then comes the temptation that because we don't like the outcome, we will filter it and we will embellish. Now, by realness, I mean the experiences that we have on any level. When we fail, when we're hurting, when we're scared, when we've had a win, when we've had a failure, These are all things that we still struggle to look at and just own the realness of it. To just communicate and share the authenticity of it without embellishment. So, rhetorical question here, but how many high-level leaders have we seen serve prison time over dishonesty? How many spiritual leaders have we seen forfeit their ministry over dishonesty? Everything from a marriage to a government, we've seen crumble over dishonesty. It's something that in some weird, bizarre way, we are very comfortable with it. We almost expect it. That when we're talking to someone or seeing something or 
we expect that there's a percentage in there that's just not true. And it's like we're okay with it. So we no longer confront it in our lives. We, in our culture, we are very easy with it because we just anticipate it. We even write songs about our struggles with this. Billy Joel wrote a song in 1979 called Honesty. And the lyrics are this, Honesty is such a lonely word. Everyone is so untrue. Honesty is hardly ever heard and mostly what I need from you. John Mayer went on in 2018. He wrote this song, or the the lyrics here says, I guess I just feel like nobody's honest. Nobody's true. Everyone's lying to make it on through. I guess I just feel like I'm the same way too. So I want to take us to Proverbs chapter 6, and I want us to look at what God says about lying, about dishonesty, and let's get a really clear perspective. Now, keep in mind the the book of Proverbs is supposed to have been written by Solomon, but the collection was actually chronicled centuries later. And so there is still some mystery as to who wrote what and, 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 and so on, but we'll, we'll suppose that Solomon wrote, wrote this, pinned it down, and I think that comes with some credibility because um, we've deemed him as the wisest person to have ever lived, to uh, someone who could have asked for anything and asked for wisdom. And so from that gift, we're still gleaning from that this morning. But I want you to look at Proverbs 6, and we're going to read verses 16 through 19. And this is going to be very strong language here, okay? He says, there are six things the Lord hates. Now, he's going to mention seven in here because he's going to mention lying twice. But he's saying six. But it's so significant that he's going to mention it two different times. But he says the first thing is is haughty eyes. Now, we don't use that word now, but the fill in there would be arrogant. Okay, arrogance. Second thing is a lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked schemes. Feet that are quick to rush to evil. A false witness who pours out lies. And a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Now, honestly, we could preach from this in some way for an entire year. If this were the only verse we took for a year, these three verses rather, we could we could really hone in and disciple and dig in and get down to intentions and agendas and thought life and all kinds of things that would produce this sort of outcome. But I just want to make it known at the forefront of of this message that this is how the Lord views dishonesty. He hates it. And this word, hate, literally translates as hate. I know that's very deep. 
But he says, listen, when it comes to these things right here, I, I can't take it. I hate it. I hate seeing what lying does. I hate, I hate seeing conflict about it. I hate seeing how it affects people. I absolutely hate it. And so for the next few minutes, I want to give us three reasons that we lie, and I want to talk about the fear behind them, and then I'm going to end with how, how do we stop it, okay? So the first big motivation for why we lie is this, to cover sin. And I realize that in our day and time, we look at sin, and what is sin to one may not be sin to the other. There's such, there's been such an open interpretation of what's right and what's wrong, and we all feel we're entitled to that interpretation. But I'll, I'll just say this: that when the Holy Spirit convicts us of something, that's your answer. When you don't feel right about it, when He's communicating to you, and we lie to cover that up. Now, I'm going to give you a, a couple of biblical examples. In the book of Genesis, which is very much like the Jerry Springer show, the entire book, Genesis chapter 4, two brothers have been together, and one of them has killed the other one. And God shows up, and he does something amazing. I'm going to preach on, on this one time, but he says, hey, I hear your brother's blood talking from the ground. He says, where is he? Where's your brother Abel? And Cain says, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? He lies to cover up a sinful deed, a terrible deed. A deed that's on this list of the things that God hates. And then Genesis chapter 32, same Jerry Springer show, Aaron it's one of my favorite stories in the entire Bible, and I I'm, 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 I'm mean this. If you're following along, I'm going to skip here, but Genesis 32, verse 2 says, And Aaron told them, Take off the gold earrings that, that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing, and bring them to me. And he, verse 4, He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Now, this took some time. Okay? Uh, he took all their gold, melted it down, took a tool, and, and shaped this gold into a calf for them to worship. All this was while Moses is gone. Now, in the meantime, they're all partying, dancing, celebrating, worshiping this calf, and Moses shows up. And in verse 22, Aaron says, Do not be angry. You know how prone these people are to evil. Y'all hear it in his voice? Verse 23, they said to me, make us gods who will go before us. And as for that Moses guy, that's not really in there, but as for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. Verse 24, so I told them, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. And they gave me the gold and I put it in the fire and out came a calf. That's how I read it every single time, even when I'm by myself. And then I laugh. I love it. And you know Moses sitting there like, hmm, mm-hmm, out, just jumped out. Yes, strangest thing ever. 
The underlying fear here that all of us have when it comes to covering sin is a fear of punishment. We're scared of the discipline. It starts when we're this big, and we never get over it. We're scared of what might happen, of what our friend might say, of what our spouse might think, about what our children, about what our boss, about what God. It's, it's, it's all these people who mean something to us or who are an authoritarian in our life, and we don't want them to think ill of us. We don't want to be punished. We don't want to be disciplined. We don't want to be shamed. And so we would rather lie and be dishonest than to just own it because honesty has a voice in this. If honesty were to come out, honesty would say, I did it. How can I make it right? It was the wrong choice. I had option A. I had option B. It would have been so much better if Aaron had said, Moses, you know what? Listen, You've been gone a long time. I'm a weak man. They put the pressure on. I decided to just go with whatever they wanted. I was scared they were going to stone me. So, yeah, I, I, I made this calf. I shouldn't have done it, but I did it. Things would have been so much better. We try to teach our children this, but yet as adults, we continue to do the same thing. Fear of punishment. But honesty says, I did it. How can I make this right? Lying at this level often begins as a defense mechanism. So the second thing, we lie to get an advantage, to get ahead. In 2 Kings chapter 5, there's a story about Gehazi. He is Elisha's servant. And they go and they speak to this well-to-do gentleman who's actually a leader in that day, and his name is Naaman. And Naaman has lep leprosy, and Elisha tells him, go down to the Jordan, dip seven times. When you come up the seventh time, you'll be clean. This was a big step because this man was in leadership, and going and dipping seven times in a muddy river was beneath him. But he went and did it. And when he comes up out of the water, he tells Elisha and Gehazi, he says, hey, is there anything I can do to repay you? And Elisha says, no. And they go on their way, but Gehazi's thinking about it. This guy's rich. I'm just a servant. Elisha's always turned down, down money. I'm going to go back and claim this one. So he does. He circles back. He tells Naaman, hey, listen, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't mind having some of that money and clothes that you mentioned before. And when he comes back to Elisha, Elisha says, where have you been? He says, I haven't gone anywhere. I don't know why that played out that way. He wanted to get the advantage. Achan, in Joshua chapter 7, long story short, hides a robe, silver, and a bar of gold in his tent when he wasn't supposed to take anything. This is one of those times in war where God says to them, I don't want you taking any spoil, and it was symbolic because he was basically saying, I don't want you to have any connection to this pagan community. This is the one time you can't take anything. Leave it all. But Achan doesn't do that. And it, it does not bode well for him because his entire family gets stoned over it. But these lies that they told were to get an advantage. 
I don't have anything in my tent. I haven't been anywhere. I haven't taken the money. I didn't do it. And they lie because it gives them the upper hand. The underlying fear here is one that is very real for our culture because it is the fear of losing. We, we also refer to this as a fear of missing out. That I, I want to be in the middle of it. And if I'm not in the middle of it, I, I, get, I get panicky. I got to know. I got I to gotta be there. I got to be one of the relevant people. I've got I've to have that. I don't, I don't want to lose out. I don't want to get passed by. This can relate to anything. Income, position, authority, respect. In any of those emotional things that drive identity for us, we don't want to lose it. And so in reaching for that, trying to grapple and hold on to it, we would rather tell, somehow we justify the dishonesty rather than just accept that this, this is how it's supposed to play out. But honesty, again, has a voice. And honesty says, I'm content with where I am in the process. And it's very hard Maybe I'm just speaking to a small group, but I don't think I am when it comes to this as being a, a cultural disease for us that we lack contentment. People are just never okay anymore with where they are and what they have and where they are in the process and where God is taking them. I myself battle with this frequently. Just... The drive for more. I'm not just talking about stuff. I don't want any more stuff. I just want to do more. So you're constantly thinking and hoping and dreaming and pursuing. And suddenly your day off is not a day off and your Sabbath is not a Sabbath. And some of you are right here this morning and you're halfway listening to me and you're halfway working. Because of this reason. You don't want to lose out. You don't want to get passed by. You're not content. And discontentment makes us old quick. Because you're never off. Constantly Pursuing, 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 working, 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 thinking, thinking, thinking. But we have to come back to this place of rest and contentment that says, I know my steps are ordered of God. I know He has this. I know He's using me to do whatever it is that He's called you to do in this world. And the pace in which He's choosing to do that is okay with me. I am content with where I am in the process. The third thing, we lie to get glory. Again, a big cultural thing. But this is not something that, that we ourselves have struggled with. We're not the only generations who have struggled with this. I'm going to tell you an old story, Acts chapter 5. There's a couple, Ananias and Sapphira. You know them. I'm going to read to you five verses. Acts chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. 
And with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself. Now, this is not, this is not the problem, and you're going to see that in just a second. But he brought the rest of it, okay, so he sits a little bit aside for himself, and he brings the rest, and he puts it at the apostles' feet. Now, something happens between verse 2 and 3 that we're missing context. And the reason I say that is because he's going to reference here in just a second that you could have done anything you wanted with this. So the suspicion is that he came and said, this is it. I sold a piece of property, and he alluded that this was all of it. So, hey, man, I got this great piece of property, and you know what I did? I sold it, and I brought all of it to, to God because that's how much I'm in. I'm all in with you guys. I want to see the church expand, and I, I, I want to see this become a good thing. I'm a follower of Jesus. Uh, Sapphira feels the same way, and together we want to make this a gift. Something's happening there between 2 and 3. But Peter said in verse 3, Ananias. This is strong. How is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Verse 4, this is where we get a little clarity. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. Verse 5, and when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. I'm I'm really thankful. <laughs> we we're in a period of grace that, that that these guys did not have. Talk about church growth, brother. When they took up an offering, they were emptying pockets. I guarantee you. And great fear seized all who heard what happened. Verse six. And some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, carried him out, and buried him. you got to love the book of Acts. Now, here's, here's what happens. Here's the short version. So Sapphira comes in. Hey, has anybody seen Ananias? Yeah, I've been out in the car this whole time. Um, you know, we, we sold that property, right? Why do y'all look so down? We, we just gave y'all all this money for the church. She tells the same story, and he comes out and he says, the same men that carried your husband out are going to carry you out. Boom, she died. And verse 11, I love this part, and great fear seized the church. You think? There were people signing up for serve teams, parking cars, joining life groups. <laughs> My God, just show me where to sign. Great fear sees the whole church. The underlying fear here for Ananias was the fear of not being known. It was the fear of being overlooked, the fear of being common. And we have this thing in us that when we feel like we're getting overlooked, we'll, we'll make some noise. We'll become the squeaky wheel. And, and, and we'll circle people back. Hey, 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 look, look at what I'm doing. Look at, what, look at what's going on in my life. And we do it in all kinds of ways. We can monop, monopolize a, 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 a meeting. We can, we can lie and make something up to get attention. 
This is all part of our, our fallen humanity. We, we need it. We, we want it. We crave to be known. We don't want to just be common. We don't want to be overlooked. And this is an identity issue. This is why it's so important for us to be confident in who we are because honesty here says this, I'm thankful for who I am. And if that means that I have to just blend, if it means I go with the flow, so be it. If it means that not all eyes are on me, if it means that there's not a stage for my life, if, if, if it means that, that people are interested in something else and doing something else and being with somebody else, then so be it. But I'm not going to be tempted to be dishonest in an attempt to circle people back to my life. I'm just thankful for who I am. This is why it's so important for us to find our identity in Christ and not in each other. And men, hear me, because you are the world's worst at this. You find your identity in what you do. And then one day you're too old to do it. And you don't know who you are anymore. Or we get our identity in what, what we've amassed. Look at this pile of stuff. This is who I am. And then the stuff rusts or it breaks or it's not popular anymore. And now you, all you got is a garage sale. Your identity is in a garage sale. When our identity is not anchored in Christ, we are going to be driven and tossed by the wind of the world. We have to be okay with who, with who we are. Next, and this is one of, these, one of these things that I think we really wrestle with. I've just simply called it perception deception. And this is when we allow others to believe something that is not true, even if you never told them. Meaning this, they've perceived something about you and they share with other people and it's not true, but it sure is better than your real story. So you let it just go on and on and on and on. And as they tell it, you just kind of smile. But you don't correct it. Okay, now let me give you a biblical example. A great example of this is found in Joseph's brothers. Genesis chapter 37. Again, there's so much drama in Genesis. If you are a new believer, start there. You'll find it entertaining. Genesis 37, verse 31 through 34 says, Then they, this is Joseph's brothers, got Joseph's robe, and they slaughtered a goat, and they dipped it in blood, and they took the ornate robe back to their father. Remember, that this, this robe is symbolic of the father's love for him. This is what they're so mad about. And they said, Look, we found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. And he recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. And here, here's where this... Perception, deception comes in. A ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. And Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned his son for many days. And the brothers let him believe it. They let his imagination take over and communicate its own story, and they didn't clarify. They didn't fix it. That's what they wanted him to do, was run with it. And I think for us as followers of Jesus, it's important for us to be very clear and honest 
about our lives and our stories and what's going on. Because the enemy will use it to puff you up and to make you feel like you're exalted. And you will live your life being tempted to embellish a little here and a little there and a little here and a little there. And before you know it, you are caught in a web that you yourself have created. So where do lies originate? Let's just be strong about it. John chapter 8, verse 44 says, He, being Satan, listen to the language of John here, was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. Everybody say no truth. None. No truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his own language or his native tongue. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Now, having heard this, and I'm not trying to be crass, but having heard this, I think there's a, just a simple little equation here. This means that if Satan's the father of lies and that's his language, every time I'm lying, I'm speaking his language. Here's the dangers of dishonesty. Okay, let me give these to you quick. Lying can become habitual. It can become such such a habit. As a matter of fact, psychologists tell us that a lie told over time, multiple times, over and over and over and over, develops a neuropathway that becomes so significant that your brain can no longer differentiate between whether that is a lie or a memory. Did that, it really did happen. Did, I don't know. Did it happen? Maybe, maybe it happened. And then every time you tell that story, you tell the same lie. Because that neural pathway is attached in some way to the real story, but the embellishment comes with it. Second, lying can become addictive. Why is that? Endorphins are released when we tell a lie. We feel the adrenaline. Our heart rate increases as we're making stuff up. But the reason it becomes addictive is because creating reality is a powerful thing. When you tell a story about yourself and people are oohing and on, and you're like, this is fantastic because none of that happened, but I'm getting the reward as if it did. Powerful to you, chemically. Third, lying can become exhausting. Keeping all the facts straight. Keeping all the stories together. It's exhausting being a liar. It's tiresome being dishonest. And then fourth, lying can affect other people. It's not just about us. I want you to think about this, maybe later today or something, but I want you to think about this. People can make life plans. They can fall in love. And they can get emotionally charged all over false information. 
There are many people who fall in love with a version of what they thought was true. But it ends up they marry somebody and they're like, you're not at all who I thought you were. Lies affect other people. So how do I... How do I stop this? Like Kevin is a follower of Jesus. How do I take today and and stop and move forward? How do I become an overly honest follower of Jesus? Let me tell you these quick, quick ways. Proverbs 30 verse 8 says, Remove falsehood and lies far from me. Now this was a prayer of confession. This was a prayer. He was saying, Please remove falsehood from me. Remove lies from me. So that's the first thing. Confess it. If you're here today and you've been dishonest, maybe even for decades, today can be a new day. You can stop today and just confess. God, there's so much in my life, so many lies. I can't remember them all, but I just want to confess that, that I don't remember them all. But Take them far away from me. Okay, so confession. The second thing, Philippians 4 and 8 says, whatever things are true, and it goes on to mention several things, but it starts with that one. Whatever things are true, and it ends with this, meditate on these things. So we need to reflect and soak and bond ourselves to what is true in our lives. We need to be very introspective about our story and our experiences and be okay with them. This is why I always tell you, if if you're mad at God and you're going through a season like that, God would rather you just be honest with that. Say, God, listen, I'm having a hard time with you right now. That's so honest and authentic about where you are. God, I'm hurt right now. I'm hurt at, at your church. I'm hurt at this community. I'm hurt at my mom. I'm hurt at my spouse. Some of you are hurt at your children. But you're too afraid to say it. We need to meditate on what is true. Be very sensitive to the reality of your own story. Third, Proverbs 4.24. He says, put away a deceitful mouth. Meaning this, I'm going to make a choice not to lie anymore. I'm going to make a choice from this moment forward. I'm going to be honest. If it hurts me, I'm going to be honest. If people ask me about a story and it's a lie I've told, I'm going to correct it. I'm going to make it right. Fourth, Exodus 23, 7. He says, keep yourself far from a false matter. Okay, This word matter can go down as circumstance, situation, event, even personhood. So he's saying this, physically distance yourself from lies and liars. Don't let your inner circle be full of deceitful people. Don't even join that. Distance yourself from it. Okay, so to recap this, get it out, confess it. 
prayer, prayer of confession. I want these lies far from me. Then reflect on what is really true about your life. Make a choice. I'm not going to lie anymore. And then distance yourself from any lies. This is how we start to overcome this terrible, terrible practice of dishonesty. There are so many people who struggle with trust, and trust is nothing but a state of truthfulness. People struggle with, with trust and believing each other and having faith in each other and having faith in God and having faith in His church because of dishonesty. Somebody, somewhere, some generation has to stop it and say, we're going to choose to follow Christ in this. It goes against everything my humanity wants. My humanity wants to scream out, I don't know, I'm not my brother's keeper. But I'm not. I'm going to come forward and I'm going to be honest about my experiences in every single conversation, every way that I can. Okay? I want you to bow your heads with me quickly this morning.